When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. <laughs> it's real. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent many days with the girls, talked with them. It's, it's fucking amazing, man. That's incredible. There's so much more to that story than has been told. So that was just my story of high strangeness that we did last week. And uh, yeah, it's powerful story. And it's real and it's true. And John Mack went there and talked with them. But talking yeah. with the girls is what gets you because they were one, one of the girls, Liesl, was in such close proximity. That's insane. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, episode 40 actually. This oh, is the wow. podcast where amazing guests share their personal paranormal history and we tell tales of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. Always with me is your other host. Bryce Johnson. And our trusty producer. Riley Bray. And uh, you just heard moments ago, coming in at the top of the show, that was our guest today. He is a filmmaker who has a new film called Hunt for the Skinwalker that is available starting today. Today. On demand, multiple platforms. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeremy Corbell. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks hey. for having me on. Dude, hey, what so a you pleasure. guys were just chatting about last week's topic of high strangeness, the aerial school phenomenon. Jeremy, you, you interviewed some of the women about this? Yeah, and I got to actually just hang out you know, with uh, Lisa and Salma. It was uh, a weekend I did up in Oregon, and they were also guests there. And I got first time I actually got to talk with two of the witnesses who were children at the time. Wow. And yeah, it's incredible. It really is what they experienced and how it impacted their lives. If, if, if people are skeptical about that case, it's, it's simply because they don't know the facts. It happened. There were ch- so many children that saw it, and it, it, it impacted people's lives, and it's it's an incredible mass sighting. Wow. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, John Mack, the Harvard psychiatrist who went down there, who was actually in Africa at the time uh, interviewing some some famous uh, South African abductees. but so And then they like called him like, hey, get over here to Zimbabwe. We've got another thing for you. And uh, so it was kind of like apropos that he was there at the time, but it became... After him interviewing a lot of those school children, he found it to be, out of all of his research, he said, you know, this is probably one of the most important uh, stories I've ever come across within, like, the last decade, you know. To, you know, So he felt a tremendous import of, of, of what was happening um, there at that school, you know. And it's, it's just an incredible story. So, Jeremy, were you there as an investigative filmmaker? 
I'm wherever I go. I guess I, can, I have a cell phone with me at all times. I can film stuff. Um, I was there as a guest to talk about some of my work, but it just so happened it was at the McMinimins UFO Festival, which is just they have a UFO parade. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a UFO parade. No, first time I was. It was I would crazy. like to be. Oh my gosh, it was awkward. But anyway, really fun event, and so that's why they were there. And um, yeah, just got to spend time with them and the girls, what they experienced. It was incredible. And yeah, John Mack did study it and look into it. And there is a film coming out about it by a buddy of mine. So look out for that. The yeah, I think we film. posted the link to yeah, that we in the did. show notes uh, last week. Yeah, yeah he, he's still trying to finish up the finishing pieces and stuff, but yeah. he's taking his time to do it just right. There and, we go. Uh, he's been working on it a long time. So just for, to clue in our listeners, like we're, this is going to be a very fun, paranormal, heavy show today. Uh, I'm super excited about it. We're going to be, be revealing visiting one of our earliest topics we've ever talked about on the show skinwalker ranch uh jeremy just uh did an entire investigative uh documentary on the subject with george knapp who's sort of the leading expert and wrote the original book on the topic literally uh the hunt for the skinwalker which the film's named after um but you also had a film that came out i believe earlier this year or last year called patient 17 which i know bryce has seen and raved about i've seen clips from it uh haven't haven't been able to sit down and watch it yet. I apologize, but I will be getting on that after, especially after watching uh, Skinwalker last night, which I thought the film was really, really good. Um, tell us about what you do as as a as an investigative filmmaker. Sure. I mean, I'm a self-proclaimed investigative filmmaker. I'm not sure really what that means. It I means think it I, sounds great. I look into I like you know, things that I'm We're investigative podcasters. <laughs> there, there we go. We're, we're, we're investigative bullshitters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. look, anything that you know really gets into my brain and I, I can't let it go. I, I realized a long time ago that uh, a camera is like a passport into people's lives. There's so much that uh, will be revealed that simply asking people questions, they won't reveal it. So I learned that you know, a long time ago, I, I didn't mean to, to start making films. I, I can't believe that I'm being successful at making films. There was no, you know, it was something I was just doing for myself. I, I was a mixed martial arts athlete. That's all I ever did since nine years old on. I taught at a university for 10 years, had schools all over the country and beyond and trained. And I, I got an illness. I could no longer do any of that physically. And it was a very hard identity shift because we identify with the things that we do. But obviously, that's a manifestation of who we are. It's not who we are. Wow, right. totally. So I learned that you know, physically, the hard way, couldn't train and all that, started making artwork. All of a sudden, that started taking off for me with this show about Sharon Tate because I worked with her sister to um, do this whole show on her style. And it's a whole thing that happened. Anyway, that happened. And there's a documentary crew, and they were following my transition from being a martial artist to to a fine artist, which was so weird because I was I was faking it. It was not <laughs> at all. I mean, so, somebody mistook me as a photographer because I was hanging out with this like other real known photographer, and that's how I got my first art gig. It was a joke <laughs> to me. I mean, it was crazy, but I took it. I'm like, let's do it. And then I realized what they were doing. This documentary crew, it was so much cooler than what I was doing. And I was like, I want to learn that. Wow. So amazing. then, you know, just grabbed a camera, started asking the questions I've always wanted to ask people, realized the camera is powerful. And hopefully I'm I'm have some talent in my ability to do it and make good, compelling visual films. And that's how I started. So yeah, my first film that really hit was, you know, for years and years and years, I just wouldn't sell out. I wouldn't sell the film to anybody. They wanted to change it. Not, can't change a frame. It was my only thing. Mm -hmm. I, I never thought I'd really ever get the movie out. All of a sudden, it's on Netflix. 
So, you know, from there, I got to make a second one. And you know, what was the first film? Which was patient, oh, so Patient 17 was the first, was the first one full one. That got hit. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Hit mass. I made a bunch of shorts and I got a lot of footage. In yeah, I perused your website, Extraordinary Beliefs, many of time. And uh, there are some incredible. Um, I think you're just your visual storytelling as well as like, you know, is, is so uh, is so spot on. And it brings like a much needed panache to this whole field. You know, I think so many times people do these, you know, docs or tell these, you know, stories of high strangeness in there. You know, it's just missing like a level of uh, of what I uh, not professionalism, but a level of high quality. And I remember, you know, when we did this podcast, I was always interested in, in Roger Lear's work. And then when Patient 17 showed up on on iTunes, I was like, oh, I got to see this. And it was, it really just blew me away. And I'm so glad that you got a chance to uh, continue this work and, you know, coming out with Hunt for Skinwalker, uh, which releases today. We all watched it last night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was thinking the same thing, like what, uh, jumping on what you were saying when we were watching last night, because so many of the paranormal films, they, they kind of tend to drag and they like, they just feel like they don't, the yeah the level of the film doesn't match the level of the story but like i really dug in yours like like your sound design is awesome like all the treatment on the voices and stuff with the reverbs and everything and, and sure. the score is really cool like there's a lot of like great music in the film and it's just the, the way you weave the visuals and everything it's just like it's a really nicely put together thing where it it gives you that sense of this kind of like dreamy ethereal thing and it puts your head in the space of that so i just i really think you nailed it on that man Thanks, man. I'm really stoked to hear. I mean, you know, I really haven't had any feedback on it. It's really good to hear that you guys appreciated the things that I, you know, care about. So the audio design and the visual aesthetic. I had one simple goal with making, starting to make films, and that is to raise the visual aesthetic in this field because I was so disappointed with, you know, how. And I'm not even. I don't even really know what I'm doing. Mission but that complete. Was, <laughs> that was the mission. Yeah. Join the club. We okay, have yeah, no <laughs> clue. Well, so that was the mission, and if I achieved it. And then the audio design. There's this great audio designer out of um, Pioneer Town or Joshua Tree area and oh, I worked great. with him intimately to audio design everything I was like okay I need this sound a little mm -hmm. more violet you know and he was really great his cool. name red blue black silver is what he goes by oh that's Love awesome that's man. the man for the job right <laughs> yeah, yeah for got, sure got, 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 hired yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. synesthesia I got uh, you covered yeah and, uh, <laughs> and I guess the other important thing about my films is that there is absolutely no reason to sensationalize fucking anything it's already yeah. there yeah, this what's actually true and provable, and what has happened in there's absolutely no reason to change that. Mm -hmm. So by by treating it that way as you know documentary, straightforward, mm -hmm. I think we're gonna reach more people to what I like to say weaponize their curiosity, which is not just like a joke. What that means is stop just being a a consumer uh, and a, a viewer of this material and become an active participant in, in learning more and getting information out, like having a podcast. Mm -hmm. we, we need everybody kind of working on this. You know, we all do it differently. It's yeah. true. You know, it's what, what befuddles me is sometimes we'll run into a guest like, uh, we had one just a, a week ago, like uh, Ben Blacker. He's like, the guy literally sees a ghost in his hallway, and it's confirmed by his wife. She's like, I saw a ghost too. And then they, they're just like, huh. And then they move on about their daily lives. And I go, how does that work? How does that not like- Not only you move know, on, but do you believe in ghosts? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in my ghost. Right, totally. But you know, for a guy like me who's you know seen and experienced some stuff, it's like, how does that not like crack open the mind? And and yeah, and it just me, it's it, like seeing a ghost is like job quitting level for me. <laughs> like it's like seriously. I have a new calling now. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's uh, 
you know, I, I think I think it's all tied into the really important questions that I'm always, you know, telling my kids to ask and that I am always asking is like, you know, who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? You know, and I think all these things that we're always um, so interested in talking about are directly correlated to to, to those questions. Well, and, we are. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, isn't that interesting, though? We have this consensus reality that we all buy into. We got our Starbucks. We put up recording equipment together. We do podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yet there's something else going on. And when we're confronted with it, depending on how we are personally, or mm-hmm. for example, December 2017, through the New York Times, it was admitted that yeah. the United States government is studying UFOs because they're invading our airspace with impunity at all times and high, credible, ranking military witnesses that are trained observers see these things I know. and report them, yet the world doesn't really It fell on deaf ears. Kind I couldn't of. believe there wasn't more of a reaction to that. Well, I, I also think, too, it's just part of the curse of the news cycle that we are currently living in right now. We yeah. have somebody who... Is taking pulling a lot of focus. Uh, who's yeah. in charge of things right now? So I think, you know, when when we're living, we're every day. There's a new thing and a new headline, and and it's immediately forgotten. This sort of slipped under the radar, but I do think over time, this will have a longer shelf life. I totally and we'll be agree. Coming back to it, I mean, it was big for us. It's obviously big for you. I mean, you've opened, and we're going to talk about the film a little bit later in the podcast and really get into it, but you practically, I think, almost opened the film with a discussion with George Knapp about that, and that was weeks before that news broke. Um, so I think for those of us who are into this, we'll be talking about it for some time to come. Definitely. And I want to get into uh, more about Jeremy and more about the movie, but first, I have some Riley... Facing news. (laughs) This one was sent to me literally on the way over to the studio today from friend of the show, Jen Kirkman. Shout out, Jen. Jen. Um, This one is from News Out of London. And this was on uh, Sky, and uh, this is, I'm quoting from the Evening Standard. Scientists discovered dozens of signals from alien galaxy three billion light years away. Mm. 72, I believe. Scientists searching for extraterrestrial life in the universe say they have discovered 72 signals from an alien galaxy using artificial intelligence. Researchers at the SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute, examined 400 terabytes of radio data from a dwarf galaxy three billion light years away from Earth. They found dozens of fast radio bursts, FRBs, that had previously been missed. FRBs are high-energy pulses and are among the most mysterious phenomena in the cosmos. They are extremely powerful, generating as much energy as hundreds of millions of suns. They were first discovered in 2007, and their exact origin and cause are unknown, and only last a few milliseconds. Mm. Scientists enlisted artificial intelligence and machine learning technology to hunt for these signals within existing data. The nature of the object emitting them is unknown, said he said. There were many theories, including that they could be the signatures of technology developed by extraterrestrial intelligent life. PhD student Gary Zhang of the University of California, Berkeley, developed the machine learning algorithm used to examine the 400 terabytes of data. SETI's Dr. Andrew Simeon said, Jerry's work is exciting not just because it helps us understand the dynamic behavior of FRBs in more detail, but also because of the promise it shows for using machine learning to detect signals missed by classical algorithms. Scientists have named the source of the newly discovered signals, which are located way outside the Milky Way galaxy, as... Repeater FRB 
Zero Two. That's the name of my so, new band. Sounds, yeah. like, <laughs> sounds like a robot in Star Wars. I love it when SETI comes back in the news. You know, oh, I man. think people brush it off, and it's not as ex- look. This isn't as exciting as some of the stuff we're going to get into today. But it's it. I love knowing that it's still out there, and they are still searching, and we're picking up brand new signals now. My mind just goes to they must have needed a new round of funding. Um, oh come on! <laughs> I mean, they're using radio telescopes, right? Sure, sure, to sure, look sure. for uh, to look for signals from outer space. You know, Terrence McKenna once said it best. He's like, you know, where they built the um, largest uh, radio telescope in Puerto Rico, and he's like, it was it was around a cow pasture, and in that cow pasture, in the dung, came all these. Uh, you know, mushrooms that are able to cause hallucinogenic. So he's like, meanwhile, they're looking for, uh, you know, signals from aliens from outer space. Meanwhile, it's literally right under their telescope. Um, And I always found that so, such like a... Yeah, but also, yes, there's inherent irony there, but also isn't that kind of fucking awesome that the place where we do literally, with the technology that we have then now, build a ear and an eye to talk to higher intelligence is sort of in the nest of where maybe that originally began. There's some beautiful, there's a, there's a nice, no, it's cool. It's cool. Harmony I just, there. Yeah, it's I, the intuitive and the science. Yeah. 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 I, I just think that, uh, that the, the, the technology that they're trying to use is, is somewhat outdated. I mean, you know, we did that. They're whole... using robots, artificial intelligence. Yeah, but they're, they're using radio. Well, not robots specifically. They're, they're but... searching for, you know, radio, they're searching with radio telescopes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, because um, we did that that whole story on the uh, the Arecibo message and the Chilbolton response, and in that crop circle uh, that came back from the Chilbolton response, there was that uh, there was that enigmatic design that was that was not a radio telescope but a microwave telescope, maybe just giving some clues as to like, hey, you know, you guys are you know looking. Looking with the wrong stuff here, you know, in the wrong frequency spectrum. Right. Yeah, in the wrong frequency or whatever. But look, anyway, it's an interesting, interesting story. I, I think look everywhere, any way you can. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I obviously believe that a lot of this phenomenon comes uh, interdimensionally. I think there's a lot that has to do with uh, psychic connections, consciousness, all that stuff. But I still think that there's got to be the occasional radio burst is there, pretty sweet well, too. Well, look, yeah, yeah and look. There's got to be life on other planets as well. You know what I mean? So let's look everywhere, within, without, everywhere. Totally. There's that old uh, quote, you know, truth is perceived in fragments and from different angles of vision. I think Gandhi said that, but the the point of that is that it takes all sorts of ways of looking at something to discover the truth, both outward looking and inward looking. And sometimes when we're looking for one thing, like you'll see with with a lot of the things we've learned through NASA experiments, we learn something else and we, we gain in another other way but I, I agree with you it's a fascinating time and all of these technologies i think are important from the magic mushroom all the way up to the radio telescope yeah yeah <laughs> totally right on well there you go um yeah. all right so jeremy we ask this to all of our guests uh you've obviously arrived at a place in your life where you are um making films about these topics but what is your personal paranormal history Oh gosh, I, I I'm like the 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 Inspector Crusoe. Like I miss everything, dude. I I bear I everybody else sees shit and I report on it. That's basically my personal history. Well, did you? How did you get into this stuff? I mean, was there anything as a kid that like a book or oh, something yes. that that 
captured your imagination? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, no, I understand the question more now. Um, I usually fail the first time I no. ask the question, so I'll go here in a second. <laughs> it's I like it's a answer. blanket right. question, <laughs> and then we, we work our way through it. Here we go. So actually, how I got interested at all, the first thing that, that I that I do like to say, like weaponized my imagination or my curiosity. It, it really set me on this path. I couldn't shake it. It was hearing Bob Lazar on the radio mm. when I was 13 years old. Um, that was 1989. He went on the radio with uh, my now mentor in journalism, George Knapp, who's an incredible uh, journalist. And, and was George, was this during, was he hosting Coast to Coast at the time? So he was reporting on Bob Lazar through KLAS News, right? Okay, he broke right. the story of Barry 51 and he broke the story of Bob Lazar claiming that he was part of the reverse engineering program just south of Area 51. So th- those audio bits kind of made their way around the globe. And as a kid, I heard it on the radio. And what was so powerful, what, what turned me on was that th- this concept he described. So, so look, we, we all have gotten to the point where we're, there's probably intelligent life in the universe everywhere. Big question are they visiting here? Mm. Now, we've come to that consensus that, you know, in general, there probably is intelligent life. But back then, when you brought that up, I mean, that was not the way people treated it. It was not something that we all agreed upon. It, people mm. would, oh, you're crazy, UFOs. We're now at a point saying, not only do we know that life is everywhere throughout the universe, it's probably homogenous, but it is actually possible they could visit here. But the moment that really flipped me was when Bob described the propulsion system. That's how it started for you. I'm a very nuts and bolts guy, even to this day. He described a system of traveling through time space that did not require faster than light travel. It is about gravity amplification through a high-powered source of what's called element 115. And by using this type of gravity wave amplification system, you're literally falling towards your target. Yeah. It, it, wow. it, was, it is a non-reactionary propulsion system. So it's not a push-pull, something out the back, go forward. Totally different. So that concept, it blew my mind. It flipped my script. You're falling towards a target. It made me realize that it, this is not impossible. And so that's what made me start looking into these topics. And wasn't Element that's 115, incredible. that was something that hadn't been on the periodic table yet? And then later scientists discovered, and I forget the full name for it, it's something very hard to pronounce. Muscovium, Unumpentium. Unumpentium, yeah, that's um, what it is. I like calling it Lazarium, but yeah. yeah that's, right, <laughs> right. Also, uh, shameless plug, it's, uh, <laughs> that's an inspiration for a device that comes along in uh, Adventure Van. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah, <clears throat> my new comic book. Out, out in Inspired now. as well by the, the Bob Lazar <laughs> But I story. love that, that, that story about uh, the Element 115, and then he described something that hadn't been on the... It was, it was then... I, I'm paraphrasing this and remembering it, and perhaps misremembering it, but it, then later they discovered it and put it, added it to the periodic table. Well, it is a big deal. Uh, Bob actually thinks it's less of a big deal than I do, but it, it is a big deal. But you know, just to be clear, so it it is a super heavy element that we suspected, you know, would exist somewhere in the universe, would have been fabricated through, you know. So, a different supernova with more matter or something. It's something we knew could exist, probably did exist, but we just had never fabricated it in a laboratory. So we always kind of knew, science knew that it could exist. So Bob, you know, saying 115, it was a suspected element. Mm-hmm. However, the interesting part is after Bob describes its properties and this sort of thing, it was fabricated. 
twice here on Earth. Amazing. Uh, but it's like we're like chimpanzees throwing crap on a wall. Yeah. We're trying to bombard, you know, a, a nucleus and, and try to create element 115 and, you know, had a half-life of, you know, less milliseconds. So it's not the stable version right. that Lazar talked about. But with the right uh, isotopes, it could be stable. And I... People say that's pseudoscience. That's a big thing people against got against Lazar's story. No, no, no. I have talked with some of the top scientists in the fucking world, and I did this for the film, who deal with super heavy elements. And across the board, they say you cannot rule out a super heavy element like specifically 115 being stabilized. Yet scientists use this to poke holes because they don't want to believe the Bob Lazar story. It's fucked up. That is crazy. Yeah. So anyway, there is a huge possibility of a stabilized element 115, not naturally occurring here on Earth, not something we can make in any large amount, but it's something that could be harvested. Can't rule it out. Fucking science. Wow. I, I think I just heard Bryce's boner growing. It did. I, I totally got <laughs> the science, science boner <laughs> is, <laughs> is up and on. You know, um, I, I forget where I originally saw it, but I, I remember somebody describing um, in a visual how gravitational propulsion works. And imagine like a mattress and then a bowling ball on that mattress. Now, if you push your hand anywhere around that bowling ball, the bowling ball is going to fall towards that gravity hole. And, you know, in, in essence, you know, that's kind of how gravity propulsion works in, a, in, 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 in essence. Am I right? I mean... Yeah, so there's two really great visuals for it. And the one you're saying is the one Bob likes to say. So... But let's look at it real simply. So like any wave, like a microwave, you can amplify a wave. You have a wave. So what we know about gravity, it's so interesting. And by the way, Bob also said gravity was a wave. Yeah. At the time, people thought, oh, it's probably That's gravitons. Right. And so now we know that to be true. What? Yeah, true. It's yeah. a wave. Incredible. Yeah. So if you got a wave and you can harness it somehow and you can amplify that wave, then like you're saying – we know the gravity is intimately related with time and space. That's why atomic clocks that are put up, but we have to adjust our satellites to it because the farther it is away from Earth, you know, time slows down in our version of it. So that's something that Einstein talked about, and we actually literally have to calculate, you know, our clocks, uh, you know, because of gravity. So this is a real effect. So if you can amplify a gravity wave and direct it, then all of a sudden you've got that bowling ball effect where it's like as if you put Just a falling. bowling ball on a mattress and you're falling towards that source. Incredible. But additionally, the idea is um, I'll have to use my shirt to show you. But hey, I was, you, I was like, you he's take, taking his shirt off. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> I, if I amplify and I pull space towards me like yeah. that, and then when I turn it off, boom, I, I end up being there. If right. that makes it, I yeah. can't see my shirt. That's when I'm the doing. wrinkle in time method with the with the ant walking across the ant. Go, I think this is wrinkle in time. Yeah. There's an ant on one edge of the paper, and he's trying to get to the other yes. side. Instead of crawling across it, you roll up the paper, and then roll it back. The ant goes over the where the two ends cross, and then you bring it back. It's, he does this so much better than us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you want to host this podcast? I just tried to explain what you did. <laughs> no, no, it, it sounds about right. There's, there's another one where they take a dollar bill, they poke a pencil through it, and the idea is yeah. like a wormhole. And it's similar to that, but it's more about elasticity. Mm. Time and space, we know, is there's more like a fabric. That's why I was using my shirt. Yeah. So um, anyway, the point is, if you can amplify a gravity wave, and we know gravity is a wave, yeah. and you can fucking amplify any wave if you learn how to do it, but it's generating gravity. Nobody can do that. The moment we can generate gravity... Everything becomes possible in science fiction you ever heard about. That is the key. Well, and, and and on just sort of what what we're into here, that what you're describing would then explain why we, when people see these crafts 
hovering in space and then pew, shoot off into the sky or just zip or even disappear, that that would explain why they're able to do some of these crafts are able to do some of the visual right you know uh, tricks that they do. Basically, it's about to get fucking weird. Ready? Let's do it. So. Commander David Fravor. Wait, do you need do you need do you need to take off your pants for this? I, one? I, I, you know, <laughs> you know, now that we're comfortable with yes. one another, you know, I'm known for this. That's why I don't do visual podcasts. <laughs> um, my wife hates that. <laughs> so um, when you, you know, so Commander David Fravor, when he saw the Tic Tac UFO reported by the New York Times. The way he described it to me personally, and, and I did break that story before, and there's audio out there, and you know, it is a great story, man. I was on it for years. I got a tip off, you know, from from some government individuals that allowed me to find Commander Fravor. That's wild. It was one of the coolest moments for me. So anyway, here's the deal. He's talking about the Tic Tac UFO moving kind of like a ping pong ball in a glass against the edges. Mm. Now, here's the deal. Is it moving like that because of the way it's distorting gravity or are we op- is that the optical nature of right. something that is distorting time space? Right. So we we don't really know if it's optical, see what I'm saying, yeah. if it's yeah. optical nature or but the point is this, by the nature of it itself, if something is gravity propelled, which everybody is sure this craft we're talking about was because the the signatures you'd see, like you're talking about those deep space signatures of every kind of propulsion has a type of signature. It is believed this is gravity propelled, the Tic Tac, the one that he saw. So they can create and utilize gravity to, to move through time space. So the, the pilot is seeing it one way or by nature, they, they are time travelers because when you distort time mm. space, you're distorting time. So it's just it's kind of funny. Are these extraterrestrials, extra dimensionals, extra temporals? It's all freaking the same. Wow. You know, and it, it, that's the kind of interesting thing. We don't have the tools to know. We just know that there is an intelligence engaging humanity from the beginning of recorded human history, that its technology appears to be beyond ours. But the only thing we truly know about UFOs is they represent a huge amount of power in a small amount of space. Mm-hmm. Everything else, we don't know. It comes from witness testimony, and it appears these intelligences are kind of fucking with us. Yeah. Telling us a narrative that may or may not be true. Well, and it's so hard to describe what you see or describe what you've encountered when we have such a limited vocabulary and perspective on on these things, you know. We don't have enough filters. We're yeah. limited. We're completely limited. We we always go back to the analogy to bring ants back up again, but it'd be like an ant trying to describe a human being, you know. From their perspective, they see giants and they all they might all they all they might see is the bottom of a Nike over their head, you know what I mean? So they're just describing the sole of a tennis shoe, you know, in this analogy and they don't see the human form that is attached, you know, the the foot that's in that shoe that's above their head. They don't have the perspective or the vocabulary to to describe that encounter. Yeah, mm. it, you know, it, they're just like, there's giant things that come out of the sky and squish us. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's all they know. <laughs> Alexander the Great, both sides of the war, there was just one battle. They talked about shields on fire. Yeah. Silver shields on fire. That Shields, that's what they knew. Mm-hmm. It was airships in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Lazar gives this great analogy. He says, when we were working on this reactor, he goes, think about it. What if you went back to like the Wild West times and and you gave them a nuclear reactor? Well, they're going to crack it open. The second they crack it open, that core, they're not going to know what happened. They're all going to die. Everybody that comes in to check on the dead people, they're all going to die. It will look like magic to them because they don't have the technology or understanding of a nuclear reactor. Same thing for us looking at this. We're We're not seeing what it is. 
technology we, is indistinguishable from magic. There we go. Ain't that you, true, amen. You know, and it was it was it was Jacques Vallée who who kind of through his research and and everything came to that what I think is a pretty like undeniable conclusion that when you know that back in time a hundred. 50 years ago, 200 years ago, people were seeing dirigibles, like, you know, floating like uh, balloon ships. And then today, as, and the the phenomena sort of progresses as we progress as a culture and a society, and, 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 and it changes along with us. It morphs. And so it really, like, I mean, it got him off the extraterrestrial uh, hypothesis into what he kind of developed as the IDH, is what's known as the interdimensional hypothesis. And he took a lot of shit for it. And I think as, uh, as more ufologists are like, you know, coming across these undeniable tales of like high strangeness, they can't but help to wonder, you know, maybe, maybe I should move my uh, prognosis and theories more towards that uh, interdimensional aspect of it, because it, it almost becomes undeniable, you know? Because you just went so deep right there. I just want to tell you, you'll appreciate this story. So, you know, Jacques Ballet, obviously, you know, a hero in this field, a uh, cagey individual, uh, have developed a friendship with him over some time. He ended up coming out to my ranch in Pioneertown. Wow. It's this great moment where, you know, finally we're comparing notes on some physical analysis material that I did a movie on, Patient 17. And he's working on 17 different samples himself. So we're looking at my notes, comparing notes, talking. I'm like, this is it, man. This is my chance. We sit down. Sun's coming down on my ranch. Beautiful Josh trees everywhere. And I turn to him and I go, you know, Jacques, Man, you've been you've been doing this. I mean, even for the United States government for Project Blue Book, the first yeah. ever computerized system <laughs> tracking UFOs. I mean, this guy's you, a legend. Man, you're the Godfather. You seriously? So I'm like, I gotta ask you, man. You know, what the fuck is going on? What, yeah. what is this all about? Yeah. And he takes this like overly long pause, you know, <laughs> and he's just like looking, and he turns to me, and goes, "Well, damned if I know." Yeah, but at least you're asking the questions it took me decades to ask. Amen. And I was, but I was like, that's not an answer, man. I was like, <clears throat> so you know, it killed me. So yeah. even after all these years of studying, you know, this Godfather of ufology, this yep. guy, you know, he still doesn't know the true nature of this phenomenon. But doesn't that just reek of the truth? He's not going to put out some bullshit uh, theory. And you know, I've always said what makes this life interesting is having having the questions that that propel this mystery forward. I've never needed to know the answers and and you know, I've never took the answers at face value, but but really the questions just keep coming up and and different questions uh, arise over the more that we learn about this. Having done this podcast now for about a year and and researching all these stories, I mean, you just find that that it becomes the phenomenon becomes so strange, you know, and it becomes and um just the way it interacts with the receiver or the individual or the uh, or the witnesses is, uh, is 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 a story in and of its own. You know, I've always I've always said that I I think the uh, you know the 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 person the experiencer plays an, an almost integral part of this 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 relationship that happens between the phenomena and the experiencer. And so if if that has something to do with consci- consciousness or or uh, there's an interplay there that's sort of pulling us towards like. Towards that phenomena, I, I I don't know what that is, it's but I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable truth, you know. And you're right, it, but I I do hope that we get closer to some answers. Like if you have a personal experience, it's hard to deny that. So I do hope that we get somewhere that we do learn more. But yeah, it, you know, there is this interaction, the uncomfortable truth. 
is that there there is some intimate connection between our consciousness and the way we perceive and the phenomenon itself engaging us. Well, let me turn that question right back on you, Jeremy. I mean, the same one that you gave to Jacques. What is this all about? <laughs> Fuck if I know, man. I, yeah. I, yeah. Look, what 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 I what I what I do know is that it is not as simple as just other beings from other star systems interested in Earth. However, that could be an element of what we're seeing. Mm. That there is something much deeper, much more uncomfortable that, you know, to wrap our minds around that is happening. And Skinwalker Ranch taught me that because it's one thing to hear a ghost story. Yeah. I mean, I really haven't seen very much of anything myself, but it's one thing, I imagine that would be compelling, but it's one thing to hear a story and it's another thing to witness a private scientific study over a duration of seven plus years, see a journalist that worked on that George Knapp on that story for 20 years, and then to see a government study come in funded by the United States military. And that's, by the way, that's what my movie breaks. That's a story my movie breaks. People don't know the truth yet. Yeah. They're, they're gonna, especially if they watch the bonus materials. That $22 million we talked about in December of 2017 that was admitted wasn't for ATIP. You know, it wasn't for that that program, that UFO-based program, that reactionary UFO-based program. It was for the ranch. Mm-hmm. The ranch is the reason that $22 million ever came through the Pentagon through Harry Reid. People don't know that yet, and that's they're going to learn that history, and that's important. And we'll talk more about that. I feel like the film did imply that. I mean, I picked up a, a bit, and I was like, oh, that, that makes sense, especially since Robert Bigelow was involved heavily in both. Um but before we do, I, I just want to ask you, so how did you go, Jeremy, from being a kid, listening to George Knapp ta- interview Bob Lazar, to uh, MMA fighter, <laughs> and now sitting down with people like Jacques Vallée, sitting down with George himself, going to Skinwalker Ranch, meeting with John... Uh, did you meet with John Lear during Patient 17? Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. Fi- with John Lear, I filmed... <clears throat> Roger Lear, I met Rod- with. John Lear's another dude. Yeah. Or John, I oh, I'm thinking of Johnny Mac. Sorry. Anyway, I I don't have the encyclopedic. Uh, no, no, but I get the name uh, name memorization that that Bryce does. But how did you how did you get to work? How did you go from that to this? What you know is if you can nutshell, like how did you get in into all this? I think another way of what Michael's putting it is is you've embedded yourself and um, with some of uh, the most highly respectable people within this entire field and. What an honor that must be, and and you know, um, yeah. And just to get back on his question, how did how did you manage to uh, to to in, in, to befriend these people and gain their trust, and 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 you know, um, hang out with them is even cooler. You know, what I mean, like, <laughs> they're asking for a friend. They, yeah. Could, yeah. <laughs> no, I just want to know, yeah, how did you go from being that kid to being a filmmaker in this field? Clearly, my charming personality. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, I know, I know that at one point you were at an art show, mistaken for a photographer. But from that point, how did you get from there to to here? I mean, you know, so uh, extreme, you know. Uh, I could say the CIA embedded me, and there we go, and everybody will question me. No, that's <laughs> some of some of the guys thought like I got to be a military plant. Um, no, I just was persistent. I I, I have I guess I am a persistent person, but I'm not an asshole. You know, yeah. your integrity and who you are, the way you do anything, is the way you do everything. Like you know, I'm I'm truly curious and interested. I want to move the needle forward, and I think people when they get to certain phases in their life, they can see that. 
they you know they got good bullshit meters. They can see if you want to take something or you want to contribute something. Mm. And I certainly want to contribute something. So these friendships that have gone on in my life, I think they're just durational. They're because I'm sincere, I'm interested, yeah. and I want to I want to make something. I want to put something but, out. Well, and and why, but why make this? Okay. Was there a moment when you went, I could do something about the Rocky Mountains, but instead I'm going to do something about alien abductions. What was it that pulled you in the direction of this field? That's God, what I want Yeah, know. God, I don't have a great answer for that. I, I have never really thought about it. I have been asked that uh, recently, actually, and I, I didn't know what to say then. I, you know, look, I think I didn't have a concept of myself outside of the martial arts. That was my identity. Everything, live, die, breathe, that's all I'm ever going to do. And... That was stupid of me. You know, I misunderstood what that that we are not what we do. So I think what happened is when I got the ability to start asking people questions about the things I'm most interested in, I started getting answers. It's like an addiction. Mm. You're like, oh, okay, if that's true, then what about this? And hey, if I can contact that guy and end up, you know, getting learning from him, well, what about this guy? So I think it's just that, you know, people say like the rabbit hole, but it's more like a, uh, you know, like a Bruce Lee movie, you know, you conquer one level, you go to the next, where sure. can I get next, where can I learn more? You know, that's kind of how I'm seeing it. And I, I do got to say that George Knapp has been a, a great entity in my life. You mm -hmm. know, he, he, we've developed a trust and a journalistic relationship. Um, you know, he'll point me in directions, tell me if I'm wasting time. So that has been really, you know, it's, it's good to have a mentor in any craft that you do. If you have somebody you respect, you look up to, and they can tell you when you're fucking wrong or you're off before you go spin your wheels too much, that's valuable. So I think it's just, man, I'm interested in this. Isn't this the biggest question? I mean, I can tell you yes. guys are, you have a show of that. This is the biggest question. Absolutely. Right here. Are we alone in the universe? Um, not only are we alone, have we been visited? You know, visited by who? What's the agenda? What, what's the, the nature of reality? Why are we here? Well, without a doubt. And I, it all comes back to me is, 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 is truth seeking. Like, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's religion or spirituality or dogma or, or, uh, you know, the, the abduction phenomena or aliens or UFOs or poltergeists or angels and demons, it all comes down. It's all going to end, I think, down the same tunnel as, as, you know, um, which is what is this, what defines this and how, how does that relate to my life? Um, you know, here on earth, you know, um, explaining, so, to, explaining to your kids, you know, some of these, well, that's I mean, right. how do you do that? I, I don't, you know, yeah, I, I know. was thinking that today on my way over. It's like, <clears throat> you know, I can't be that dad. Um, when my son asked me, Hey, are there, are there monsters in the world? I can't be the, the dad that just goes, Oh no, all oh, that's just bullshit. You know, I gotta be like, <laughs> I gotta word it carefully. I said, you know, the world is a mysterious place. You know, I don't know what's out there, but you know, uh, there are things out there. You yeah, know? it makes me think of, there's a line in your film that I loved. It was I'm going to butcher it, I'm sure, but it was something along the lines of uh, it's better to examine the unexplained than explain the unexamined. Mm -hmm. I learned that from George. That's, you know, I uh, love that. investigate the unexplained, That's it. not explain the uninvestigated. Too many times we do that ourselves. We're like, oh, that's what that is. We we, we don't investigate it. So yeah. that's an old journalistic term. It's the duty of science and journalism to investigate the unexplained, not explain the uninvestigated. Yeah. Mm. And so where even if we don't get to the direct answer, this is this and that's what we're calling it, it's, it's the pursuit of figuring it out and, and I've heard it's the journey. It. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's well, great. listen, you know, not to speak on, on you know, George Knapp's, uh, uh, not to speak on his behalf, but I'm sure 
guys like him and Bob Lazar and even John Lear have a, a, a wonderful validation with the work that you've brought to the table. Like, I mean, you could almost just, uh, I read that article that, uh, that, that, that George gave to shadows of the mind and even seeing him on, on your, on your documentary hunt for skinwalker. There's a, there's a light in his eyes that, <clears throat> that was kind of like a, you know, thank you for bringing these tapes to light. I mean, as he even says in the film, you know, I never, my first intention was never to do a book. It was always to do a documentary. So for someone like yourself to come along and pick up those pieces and help bring that dream and, and that, uh, into reality, into fruition, I, I'm sure you know, they appreciate it on a, on a whole level. Well, so. I pester the hell out of him, though. I'm like, come <laughs> on, man, let me, let me in those boxes. Can you imagine? I'm like, the world's not allowed to see these, Jeremy. I'm like, let me in right, those boxes. Right, right, no, totally. You know, and then making a film, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're all beating around the bush here. Yeah. We really want to get to talking to uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker. But first, this is a tradition. It's become a tradition with all of our guests. Jeremy. We're going to play a little game with you called Bullshit or Believe It. Oh, I was going to say, this would be great for <laughs> This him. is rapid yeah. fire. There's no right or wrong answer. I'm going to name, I'm just going to go down a list, and you quickly say bullshit if you don't believe in it, or believe it if you think it's true. Whatever and, you know I'm what? about there to say be, is going to be bullshit. There might, there, might, there might be some stuff in between, so, uh, you know. But you, you only get two answers, bullshit or believe it. Okay? Okay. On your mark. Okay. Get set. Ghosts. <laughs> Pass. Gotta say one or the other. I'm. You can like. Believe you can. It. Wait, it's, uh, yeah. Believe it. That's what, what, what do you mean by ghost? It's about what? Just okay. That's how I tried to play. Yeah, I tried this too. There's more stuff. I qualified every answer. Believe it. <laughs> believe it. Great. UFOs. Believe it. Bigfoot. God, I'm bad at this game. It's okay. Just go with your instinct. Bigfoot. The way people think about it. <laughs> bullshit. Great. Angels. The way people think about it, bullshit. Gnomes. I wish it wasn't bullshit. <laughs> JFK assassination conspiracies. Oh, that's truth. Fairies. I'll take it. Bullshit or believe it. Those believe are your it. answers. <laughs> Unicorns. Bullshit. Loch Ness Monster. Bullshit. Alien Greys. Believe it. Parallel universes. Believe it. Reptilians disguising themselves as humans. Utter bullshit. Mermaids. Bullshit. Heaven. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, fuck. I'll say, I'll just believe it? No, I don't know. Hell. Okay. Hell. Oh, I believe that. Oh. Dragons. Kimono dragons? <laughs> no, sure. dragon dragons. Believe it. Yeti. <laughs> believe it. She's my wife. Elves. Elves. Believe it? ESP. Believe it. Chupacabra. Bullshit. Demons. Believe it. Atlantis. Believe it. Life on other planets. Believe it. World peace. Believe it. Peace in the multiverse. <laughs> oh, my. Well, that's a new one. Believe it. <laughs> I wrote that one just for you. <laughs> awesome. So you were pretty, uh, you came down pretty hardcore, believe it, on demons. Oh, yeah, demons. Yeah, just I met some. <laughs> no, I mean, it all depends what you mean. I mean, some of those things I have no idea, you right. know. Um, but yeah, I, th there seems to be uh, a ma malevolent force that that can. I have been witness to that effect of that from the ranch experience. That there are some very negative things that have happened. I don't know what you call them. Like, what is a demon? Do sure. You know? Is that a religious? That's why this is all open for interpretation, anyway. Right. But just just in general, yeah, there is positive and there is negative in this world, and we definitely want to be on one side of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now the un the non traditional Bigfoot. 
What's the traditional Bigfoot versus the non-traditional right, Bigfoot? Right, like if you know, if you talk with uh, Jane or what's uh, what's sorry, what's her name? Jane Goodall. Uh, yeah, if, you know, she, she absolutely promoted the idea that you know the idea of Bigfoot could be very real, but she's talking about some sort of uh, you know animal that's primate. been yeah. primate, it's been in hiding. Now, I, I that could be true, and there could also be this other kind of humanoid being. I think from the encounters that I've really heard about that I trust, like from the scientists at, Bigfoot, at the at Skinwalker Ranch, that these beings are actually dimensional beings that that they see they appear to come out of portholes. Like they've saying it for years. So so I would say yes, but I don't think it's just a species that we like. You know, Jane Goodall is saying. Yeah. I think that this is because a lot of times flying saucers are witnessed around these incidents of people saying what mm -hmm. we call Bigfoot. So yeah. Bigfoot, as we know it, I'm thinking. They're dimensional beings. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I've, I, I often think that uh, you know the ufology field and and the Bigfoot field is very analogous to each other. Like you know, I would say about eighty percent of you know the people who study UFOs and are interested in this stuff are like, oh, this is nuts and bolts. This is craft from high technology from from another planet. Whereas in the Bigfoot field, they're like, no, this is just a uh, a wood ape that we have undiscovered and has you know, has evaded our detection. And, and I'm going, no, 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 no. You know, because people pick and choose their details of these stories. You know what I mean? They're so quick to like put away like the strangeness of of a saucer case that uh, that can't be explained like like a like a guy going back and, and taking his camera and filming the same crap that he was investigating a month later, um, you know, or like a Bigfoot case when the tracks just completely disappear. You know what I mean? I, they, they don't want to, like, take these into consideration. You know, they, they pick and choose their facts, yeah, it's, which it's I almost, think puts them in a hole. It's almost like the phenomenon provides us great opportunity to discredit ourselves. Yeah, it, it's very mm. strange. You'll be happy to know, being a fan of Bigfoot, when um, a colleague of ours, Dave Politis, he's mm -hmm. He's touching back into that field very soon. You're going to hear of him. Oh, that's Dave great. Politis. That's not a name. Missing four one one guy. He did a lot of. He did all those books about the missing people in national in the parks. national parks, right? Yet, yet he started. People don't know with the Bigfoot topic. Wow. And he's coming back to it. I think we're going to be hearing about that real soon. Oh, so be, you're going to love that. Dude, I'll be in. But yeah, the the idea of what you're saying, which is that the the high strangeness. Now, I learned that really the hard way. It, you, you you hear of a report, a close encounter. People don't tell you what actually happened until they trust you because it is so strange yeah. that they feel like they can tell you they saw a craft mm -hmm. or a light in the sky. But there's there's typically there's more to it. And when you get those stories out, I mean it's a it's a brain teaser. Yeah. It's almost as if these events, the phenomenon expresses itself in order to confuse, manipulate, and distort and I don't know. I mean, it's it's very to strange. use Valet's words, theater of the absurd. Oh, he's that's a perfect way to explain it. Yeah, yep. incredible. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, man. It's mm. weird. Well, the sound you just heard is Bryce signing his divorce papers, and when we come back, <laughs> we honestly, the look on both of your faces when he started talking about Bigfoot and portals was priceless. Because <laughs> we are we're very big on the portal theory. <laughs> we'll be right back to talk to Jeremy about his new movie, Hunt for the Skinwalker. All right. <laughs> I said last night, oh, should we wait? It's okay. Go for I it. I said last night, I was like, maybe that's like a bad Bigfoot. Maybe there's like good Bigfoots and uh, 
and bad Bigfoots, you know, because I know you talked about, uh, you know, the malevolence that was that was kind of felt on the Skinwalker Ranch. And and, uh, you know, every coin has its opposite side. And there's so many um, even part of the abduction phenomena that has that. you know, my life turned into uh, for the better, and I and I, you know, you know, so you have you have these like kind of uh, uh, malevolent stories, but you also have on that on the other side is these very like kind of like benevolent type experiences where people are like you know, my life was really out of disarray, and it and and you know, and I was abducted, and it and it and it came into total place, and I felt peace, love, and harmony, and I got messages of like nuclear disarmament and like world peace, and so there's. You know, there's there's definitely two sides at play here, and yeah, when you were when he was talking about that creature, which was one of the things I loved of that. Listen, the 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 reason I am fascinated with <clears throat> Skinwalker Ranch is because it throws it all in a cereal bowl and asks you to eat it up. You know what I mean? It's like orbs, uh, giant uh, giant birds, uh, uh, metallic objects, uh, dire Bigfoots, wolves, dire wolves. <laughs> Portals, uh, openings in the sky. Uh, you well, know. that's great. I, uh, this is a perfect segue to the question I want to ask Jeremy, which is for our listeners, uh, and especially our new listeners who may have not listened to our uh, Skinwalker Ranch episode, which is Bigfoot Collectors Club episode three with Mary, uh, was that with Mary Holland, I think. Mm. Yes. Uh, Go back. It's one of the early ones. I believe it's called We Know the Same Ghost from High School. Yeah, right, which is a great um, story. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, just nutshell, what is Skinwalker Ranch? We've talked a lot about it on the show, and I find that it's one of those topics that's a little elusive. You're always sort of looking for the it. You're looking for the, oh, you that's the Skinwalker in this story. Um, I think your film does a really good job of sort of laying it out there so for our listeners what what is the skinwalker ranch right yeah so if it's not on people's radar once you hear it you can't get away from it it's one of the most compelling stories in the world and that's because of the studies the scientific studies it is the most studied scientifically paranormal hotspot in human recorded history this place has had more government and private industry uh, eyes and scientists looking at this place as a living laboratory than anywhere else that has high activity, everything from UFOs to Bigfoot to dimensional portholes to cattle mutilations to what they call blue meanies, which are these orbs that fly through and invoke an unnatural amount of fear into people's brains. And and this has all been scientifically studied and documented, and it's incredible. So it is a 480-plus acre ranch in northeastern Utah that historically, for hundreds of years, if not thousands, have had reported uh, encounters, close encounters, with other entities. The term skinwalker is a Native American term, um, you know, basically meaning, it's a catch-all term meaning trickster or witch or shapeshifter, but George Knapp and Dr. Colin Kelleher, who literally wrote the book called Hunt for the Skinwalker, used that term in their title because it was a Native American term, and they found that one of the ridges on this ranch they called Skinwalker Ridge because it was what they call the it's in the path of the skinwalker mm-hmm. like an animal there's a place where it comes from where it goes through but what's important for your listeners to know is that there is a ranch in northeastern Utah and it was used as a living laboratory both by Robert Bigelow who's a aerospace mogul who ended up putting seven scientists or more than that for seven years on this ranch to study 24 hours a day what he thought was just UFO activity and he quickly learned is far beyond UFO activity. But that's not the beginning of the story, is it? It wasn't always a research center, was it? Right. It was not. It was just a, a ranch. And 
uh, interestingly enough, the couple, the, the family that came that we call the Gormans, and I will continue to call them even if their name gets out elsewhere for their anonymity. But I think like in episode three of this podcast, maybe. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but like it's, it's out, but just yeah. from a journalistic standpoint, sure. so we'll call them the Gormans. So it's a family that moved on to the ranch. So just imagine, I mean, they raised, you know, And this seminal. is in the early 90s, 93, 94, I think? Yeah, it would probably be 95 or something okay. like that. Um, I know Robert Bigelow bought it in 96, so maybe it was 90, 90 Okay. Uh, yeah, mid nineties, something like that. So they 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 bought this ranch. It was like it's it, it is a dream property. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Got a creek that runs through mountains, everything around. It's perfect. And they were raising Seminole cattle, really high end cattle. That was what they were doing. And uh, you know, they signed this lead this deed, and it says some funny things in the deed, like you know. If you're going to dig up the earth, make sure to notify the owners two weeks beforehand. And they just thought they were kind of losing it, these other owners. What what are they talking about? Yeah. So they kind of move in blind onto this ranch, and they're stoked. They're happy. Within the first five minutes of being there, they have their first encounter with the unknown. There's this huge, sentient-looking wolf that... This story is crazy. I mean, we it's talked about it on the podcast, but it and 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 the way it's told in the in your film, like that was one of my favorite moments in the in the movie. So, so the, let me just I'll back up one second. The cool thing about the film is that no footage was ever allowed off of the ranch in the history of the ranch. George Knapp was allowed to do a book without even a single photograph. So, the, but he took a bunch of photographs uh, he and a filmed, bunch of films. He, yeah, he filmed <laughs> yeah. the entire time. He wanted Incredible. to make a documentary, and then Mr. Bigelow asked him not to because he owned it at the time, and oh. he didn't want people invading, you know, the ranch as, as has happened from the book anyway. Because the, the phenomenon does react to the people and the consciousness, and it, it's an elusive predator. You have to hunt it like a sentient intelligence, a, a precognitive sentient intelligence mm -hmm. like Dr. John Alexander talked about. So without getting too far ahead, my point is what you're seeing in this film was never supposed to be seen, this footage from the active investigations at the ranch. But for your viewers, just to back up, just to give you one first experience. Well, but before you move on, the thing that I really love about the movie is it really is a blend of your your film you're, it's 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 a film that's your documentary, but then it's uh, edited in are all these original pieces of footage that George took. So it's sort of like it's a culmination. It's of a culmination. It's, it's an amalgamation of, <laughs> of the original intent of the documentary, and now you coming along and wrapping it up in this nice, nice, beautiful presentation. Thanks. Yeah, that was a difficult thing in the movie was to, you know, honor the original kind of we, – we put him into like news reports, mm -hmm. you know, because George is such yeah. a famous newsman. Um, so you'd get that original footage from the active investigations of like the NIDS team, the scientific team that was there. But then surrounding that with modern day events because they're so connected, more than people think. And we talked about that. The $22 million actually all came from and was for the ranch through a program, a bigger UFO program that was admitted to the American public. It was called OSAP. So that's one aspect. And then in the film, getting the new interviews with people who have been, you know, 30 years bordering. Because look, the whole Uinta Basin, the whole area has high activity. I mean, yeah. I talked with the cops there, the tribal police. I love this story. Please tell us this story when you talk Which to the one? tribal police. Oh, that when was when you got pulled over. Right, well, I didn't get pulled over. They oh, okay. they came Sorry. up. They came up to us. We were we. But <laughs> basically, what happened is, um, right. I don't have this on film. The they didn't want to go on camera, but they were checking our permits because never before had the the tribe allowed people to have permits to film and take them 
off of the reservation. So we, we had permits. So we get kind of pulled over. They come over to us. And what, what was so, this was the most shocking moment to me. You know, these two, this is the one you're talking about, the yes. police, these officers. So yes. they're kind of checking our stuff. And then one pulls me aside. He's like the, the big boss. And he pulls me aside and he was truly concerned for me. And he says, look, I've seen it happen before. You are here hunting, whatever this is. It knows you're here hunting and it will hunt you back. And and I was kind of like, kind of taken aback by that. Like, what is he talking about? I'm kind of looking at him. Meanwhile, he's scrolling through his phone, shows me this badass UFO video that he wow. took this huge UFO over a house that he wouldn't give me the video, but I yeah. saw it on his cell phone. I mean, this is not a guy who like fake cell phone footage. It's right. one, he, he, you know, he like, you should unload that soon. He says, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, he said, he said, Before maybe, that phone maybe drops he'll in give the it creek. to me one day. Yeah. So he says, you know, basically we don't go out looking for this stuff here. It happens all around here and, and it's like a car crash. It's in our face all of a sudden, but we're not hunting it and that's dangerous to do. And I've seen people get hurt. And I, I've heard stuff like that, but having him tell me that, not on camera, not to freak me out, but out of true concern, and then to have that look in his eye, and he looks at his partner, and it's like his partner kind of gives him the okay. And I, I look at him, I said, he's talking about you, isn't he? His police partner. Mm. I said, what happened? And he says, well, I'm, I'm on patrol. It's about four years ago. I'm on patrol, and i sitting there, pulled over, listening to radio. And I look up, and there is a huge kind of humanoid wolf creature hunched in the middle of the road looking at me. Big. And I'm like, fuck, that's scary. Sure, it wasn't like a wolf or a drunk dude or something like that. And he goes, I watched it for two minutes in shock. Then I turned on my siren and lights, and the thing just stood up, looked at me, and walked into the woods. On two legs. On two legs. And so I would say this is like a kind of like a Bigfootish kind of experience, but yeah. he, he described it more like a humanoid wolf. And, I, you know, this sounds totally nuts to me, right? But if you're hearing this guy telling it, it doesn't want to go on camera. He didn't even know I'd be repeating this story. And I go, how big? How big was this? And he points to his SUV police cruiser. Wow. And he goes, a little bigger than that. <laughs> I mean, it's just terrifying. So so Whoa. anyway, what really stuck with me, because that's, that's just a story. But what stuck with me, besides seeing the video of the UFO on his cell phone, was that he had true concern for my well-being. This wasn't a show he was putting on. I come to find out why, and I, and I come to understand it more, knowing people over the years there and that kind of thing. Um, they even had a, a, a shaman on deck because they were like, you know, what happened to this guy who, who saw it? It followed him home. And what I mean by that, not the big creature, and this was the, – the, the DIA termed them hitchhikers. Mm-hmm. I know, which is weird to say, but that's in – if there are government documents that refer to this stuff, you know, it might refer to it as hitchhiker. Right. So a hitchhiker in this area is the idea that once you encounter whatever this is, that there, it's like a, like a virus. It, it comes and kind of starts to infect your life and often your, your loved ones. And that's a freaky, scary kind of thing to say. Mm. But it happened to multiple DIA agents who were on the ranch during the government study. That has been confirmed. I know the whole story behind it. I've said it a few times. So has George Knapp. So has a couple other people. I'm yeah, sure. it was it a eerie part of the documentary. And, and I always thought when you were driving through the Southwest and picked up a hitchhiker, they were just a meth head. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, that would be. I the, would rather have a meth head than than uh, the type of hitchhiker Jeremy's describing. But you're talking about negative, malevolent forces that are following people home. Yeah, what I'm talking about is what you would 
call, you know, uh, paranormal activity or something like that, a poltergeist-like activity. So to give you a specific example, you know, one of the uh, DIA agents who came home after, or two of them in in particular, I mean, they get home and things like things flying off the walls, uh, their family, uh, their, their wives and children seeing these uprights standing, I know it sounds crazy, like kind of wolf men things that are peering at them. Yes, I'm talking about what they call hitchhikers, something that comes like a virus and infects your loved one and comes home with you. And it sounds so crazy. And I have not had that experience at all. But that might be one of the main reasons why uh, Robert Bigelow sold the ranch. This is like mm. the dark mirror version of Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> at, at one point in the film, you say, uh, it seems almost half joking that you say that you're impervious to evil uh, in, in reference to this whole uh, thing. Can you elaborate on that? What, what you meant there or what, what was going on there? Yeah, or that, how you feel about this whole phenomenon? Yeah, that's, that's my joke because so that was, I was chilling with, with Robbie. So this guy, Robbie Williams, is in the movie. He's a singer, songwriter, uh, artist, musician, awesome dude. You know, he's just got like a cameo in the movie because he's friends with some of us on the team. And, you know, what a good guy, man. So I was fucked kind of standing around fucking around talking with Robbie making a joke you know because he always fucks with me so I fuck with him he goes so you know is it scary what what are you feeling I'm like I'm impervious to evil you know that was the throwaway (laughs) joke but what's behind that is kind of I am the joke you know I was taken out there to be used as bait you know George Knapp was first the bait and then he loved making me the bait and (laughs) of course like is the story of my life when I go inside to get the night vision so I can show everybody maybe they can see a UFO, they all scream and see something when my back is turned. That is mm-hmm. the story of my life. I am – George Knapp says he's kryptonite to, to the phenomenon. I feel the same way. I, I'm, huh. I'm that guy. I'm that joke. So I must be impervious to evil. I've had no negative stuff. However, the people around me, they have seen on our last trip with Robbie to the ranch. Um, you know, We brought with some of us a couple – badass military intense individuals right and mm-hmm. one in particular a security guy he soft-spoken stoic uh he saw and i i believe him because he barely talks you know he's just real chill he saw this thing follow me this shadow creature humanoid inches from my body through the command center of the old nids trailer through the light into the other room for a durational period, this smoky kind of textured humanoid being, he thought it was our other buddy who's six foot something, but he had left hours ago. I can't deny he, he, we got off the ranch. He didn't tell me at that second. As soon as we park, he's like, he stopped the car. He told me the story, but that's the story of my life. This thing's right behind me. I don't see it. Maybe I dodged a bullet, but that's, I must be impervious to evil. And what did he describe seeing behind you? So it, what's, what he didn't know was that it's something that has been described in that little command center on multiple occasions, but those are, they used to be classified files. He had no idea that that's something that would appear there. But what he saw was what they call a sentient mist. It is a humanoid, structured, real thick, billowing black smoke appearing to the visual eye. It doesn't matter if you're coming from the shadow into the light, which I was when I was walking, and it was right behind me following like a hitchhiker. And is it <laughs> wow. in human form? Yeah, it was. It, he said it was like a human shape. Yeah, wow. human shape. And again, you know, look, I this is so outside of my comfort zone. I don't it's know about any of It's in the middle of our comfort okay, zone. Okay, you guys I mean, Oh, my God. I'm so cozy yeah, I mean, on the, this couch right now. <laughs> all I'm trying to figure out is how to go get that second cup of coffee so I can just... How, how much does that, does that mess with me, Mike? Because you always 
always be like, you know, when when we talk about like ghosts and entities or demons, I'm always like, uh, yeah. But like with aliens, like, oh, aliens, and you know, and it's like, oh yeah, they're great, and like, but now it's like you've meshed the worlds together, making it all uh, more befuddling, and 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 uh, and and linking the two together inescapably, and 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 it and it just, you know, it it, it makes one, you know, ask even more bigger questions, like you know. Uh, just for example, like, I mean, you know, some part of the, of this field, um, you know, relates these stories to angelic or demonic. Did you ever get that, that sense that, that there was some sort of, uh, uh, terms are so relative, but, but is there, is there, did you ever get a sense that, that it might have something to do with those type of polarities? You know, it's so funny. So again, I just want to say I'm very uncomfortable talking about all this. I mean, I do have my pants off in the studio. So I just um, he keeps using his clothes. Yeah, yeah. Let me show you this trick. Yeah, okay. Right. Um, strip show. Okay. So, <laughs> what's interesting about what you're saying that it really kind of shocked? It was a very funny moment. I think I can say it. So, uh, Dr. Colin Kelleher is co-author on the book with George, and mm-hmm. he's a scientist that was the head of the inve- one of the investigations, a couple of the investigations that. Skinwalker Ranch. And interviewed in a lot of the footage that George had from the 90s that's in in the film. Absolutely. You get to hear directly from Dr. Kelleher, which is huge. He's the one that tells the story of the giant wolf that approached the Gorman family on their first day. Yeah, and and he's not just some, like, you know, uh, UFO guy. He was just, he's a scientist, a biochemist who signed up to the NIDS to to be part of this exclusive, you know, science team, having probably no idea what he was getting into. answered an ad. You guys uh, keep saying... Answered an ad in a paper. We keep uh, referencing NIDS. What what does NIDS stand for? Okay, so I want to get back to your question. Yes. So, So... so don't let me forget that. No. It's a weird one. So NIDS, National Institute of, uh, of Discovery Science, was a scientific organization fully funded and created by Robert Bigelow of Bigelow Aerospace. You know Robert Bigelow. He has three orbiting space satellites to his name or space habitats. He's got one on the International uh, Space Station that's an inflatable big-time name in aerospace and uh, human spaceflight exploration and human habitation, Mars and the Moon. So that's NIDS. And our listeners know him as the guy, that rich guy who doesn't use email. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so <clears throat> there are some surprises in my movie that I think people will really enjoy seeing that are unexpected. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But you get to hear from a lot of great people yeah. in this film for the first time sometimes. So that's what NIDS is. But again, there was a larger government study that happened after the NIDS study that, that was Defense Intelligence Agency, the intelligence agency or intelligence branch of the Pentagon. That's OSAP, Advanced Aerospace Systems or Weapon System Application And that's Program. why there were things like command centers on this old Well, I ranch. mean, that's, I'm sorry, that's a bad term. We're talking about a double wide that's really nice. Okay, right. you know? I was picturing <laughs> G.I. Joe's pit battle station. Right, right. No, look, it, it's a ranch. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It, it's a command center for what they were doing. But yeah, lots of scientific, uh, you know, activity and everything they did trying to communicate with the phenomenon actually at, at first, not super technically, but through games. I mean, they were doing all sorts of stuff to try to engage the phenomenon and then provoke it. And they were taking their cues from, we'll call him uh, Tom Gorman, because uh, he was the rancher who mm-hmm. ended up telling them how to approach, how he was successful, kind of surprising the phenomenon, catching it in the action at times, right? So back to your question. Yes, Angels, demons, good and evil. Okay. Funniest thing, man. I started 
talking with some of the scientists directly about that, like, man, what's described? I mean, it, it really starts to sound demonic. I mean, mm -hmm. the way these things attach to people sounds like poltergeist, like exorcist, like this is outside my comfort zone, man. If it's not like a flying saucer is made of like metal that I can look at, you know, this is crazy to me when I was first getting into it. Right. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's not like demons or something like, let me explain you know, from a scientific standpoint. And they start explaining it. And as they fucking explain it, it starts sounding more and more like my <laughs> and I'm like, so You're you not know, helping the case. So I'm like looking at it, I'm like, okay, so dimensional portholes where evil's coming through? I mean, so so right. the point is no one really knows. And, and the phenomenon uh, seemed to distinguish between human beings and animals. I mean, animals. The, they get the, the worst of it. Oh, violence. Yeah. The terror and the psych psychological aspect, very real physical effects. Mm -hmm. And there there are some things that have occurred that we may attribute to biological harm from the phenomenon. But I always say no real major human injuries happen because it's unprovable. It's an interesting fact of the case, almost like it's off limits to, uh, to physically harm. You know, I mean, I know in your documentary there's... Uh, there's a, uh, a a native woman who who might say uh, to the contrary, but uh, but I've always found that fascinating too. Like maybe there's some sort of rule structure in place for whatever this intelligence or entity is working with. It almost seems accidental when an injury occurs. So the mm. case that you're you know kind of talking about now is is Janice is a woman who lives in the Uinta Basin, a good friend of mine. Talked with her yesterday. Yeah, she. What was, what was tragic for me about that interview? We had been talking for. 10 months every Saturday for like an hour, just she'd give me the gossip of the Uinta Basin and, you know, yeah, always jovial and really had this cool connection to the phenomenon when she would experience things. But the second I pushed record, my first time physically meeting her in an interview, she shattered into a million pieces, man. Yeah. It was like this weight. And I started to realize the human effects go far beyond the physical of the way the phenomenon engages people in the Uinta Basin. She now has doubts about her son's illness that he has, that it was caused by that light that mm -hmm, hit him. Mm -hmm. Her friend died from what was obviously a rare... Well, so wait, what, it's for our listeners, what happened, um, without giving too much away, what happened to... What's the incident that happened? Sorry, there? yeah. Um, no, and there's you can sit, talk about it all. I can say anything from the movie. It's you're never going to... You have to watch it. That's yeah. The whole, so we can talk about anything, but sorry, I jumped ahead. Yeah, so there's been multiple events on and around the ranch where a massive what we would call like a mothership some sort of craft is above and it shines these bright lights down usually it, it appears as if they're doing something with cattle but then they'll go out and look for their cattle the ranchers and mm. sometimes that's when it happens and this beam hit one particular rancher and he jumped into the, the water and tried to splash cool his face and he was so burned and he got a very rare cancer and died shortly after and that happened to multiple people and then this friend of mine, Janice, she was hit with one of those beams with her kid when they're looking for their cattle when there was a what they call a light show happening. Now, they didn't have a dramatic burn or an effect like that, but then he did come down with – or he was diagnosed with MS, mm -hmm. first one in any generation in his family. And there's always that doubt of did that – is that related to yeah. – and, and it's almost like it doesn't matter. It's just that that seed of doubt is real. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's some real – in my film, you do – Tragically, you do see kind of how the phenomenon appears to people, how they 
how they can be might have been harmed by, and it's sad. It's it really sad. seems like a real fucking drag for a lot of people. I mean, yeah. but isn't that what we've discovered over doing this this show? Is so many of these people who have who have, who have witnessed these things up close and personal, their lives are inexplicably changed uh, thereafter, and it's usually not for the best, not not for the benefit of them. You know, <clears throat> this is something that. You know these type of witnesses or or abductees, if you would call them, um, shy away from. They're not like excited to talk about it. They don't want to be in this club. You know, it's not something that they can benefit from um, uh, culturally or monetarily. This is just something that uh, you know, uh, out of the blue, seems to have come and affect their life. And it you know, and it and it changes their world paradigm. It changes their view of reality, and it, it really flips their whole lives upside down. Yeah, they're, they're not giving us the cure for cancer. They're not yeah. giving us the technology that feeds the world. I mean, whatever, whoever these entities, these intelligence are, these visitors, you know, it's it's not purely benevolent. We're going real dark here, and I get it because that's Skinwalker Ranch, and that that it, you know, look, it's true. But there are two sides of the coin. There are people that say they have very beneficial and good experiences. Absolutely, and maybe even receive some sort of, you know, uh, new ability because of their connection to a, you know, seeing a flying saucer. Like Yuri Geller very famously yeah. says that he had some of his remote viewing capabilities that were studied at SRI Stanford Research Institute by people like. Um, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Six Man to Walk on the Moon, who, by the way, it was the last video interview ever before he passed away. Which was amazing, by so, the way. So, oh, can't wait to get that out. Check out Jeremy's website, extraordinarybeliefs.com, where you're going to be able to see uh, the majority of his work, not just uh, some of his short films that feature uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell and, uh, and and John Lear, but uh, you know trailers to the films that he's working on and, and uh, a little bit of insight about who Jeremy is and the type of work that he does, you know? Um, yeah, so just... I. Thank you. And I, I guess just the point is just that we're all putting on this that it's scary or bad or positive and good. And, and, I, and I don't know the answer to that. Only people that have had these experiences do. Yeah, well, the thing about Skinwalker Ranch, and I'm sure some of our listeners are like, wait, wolves, dire wolves and werewolves and UFOs and portals and wait, what? Paranormal Disneyland. It is so weird, and it almost feels as if this area is almost designed to drive the person insane or the experiencer insane you know what i mean in a way not that that's happened but it is so baffling um one of my favorite uh stories from the film was stuff that had been happening before the gormans moved there is in the i believe in the 60s and 70s there was a science uh high, local science teacher uh i can't remember his oh, name Hicks. who uh, uh who who got together with another individual and they started collecting all of the eyewitness reports. Salisbury and Hicks. From yeah. Roosevelt and uh, what was the other town nearby? Vernal. Vernal, right. And so I love that there was a guy, even like an amateur researcher, um, who was, he was, was he a high school or a local high school, college school? Science, science teacher. teacher yeah, yeah. Going around and collecting eyewitness reports of UFOs or strange encounters. So this stuff has really been going on in this uh, territory for a long time. And what I feel like your movie does really well is sort of show, and it's, it's a little sad because it does feel like this is an area of the country that feels economically depressed. And, but they've been living with this very, 
strong, wild folklore for so long that a lot of them, it, they they are just kind of used to it. Is that fair to say? It's actually incredible. Um, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't even say folklore. They're living... Well, right. I mean, because it, it is part of their fo- folklore to try to explain it, but they are living in an immersively um, altered reality that, right. you know, it is not... Our consensus reality does not apply to the Uinta Basin. The high strangeness there, there is real. There's not a single person that I met that didn't have a direct experience with it or knew somebody that did. And you're right. Uh, that, you know, the science that you're talking about with that writer, Salisbury, who did the book on it, uh, the Uinta UFO display or something like that. That book Utah looked UFO awesome, display. by the way. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, yeah, we want that. I got to get a copy of that. Utah UFO display, I think. Yeah, yeah he, something like he, that. He hand-drew, wrote down all the different individual UFOs and flying saucers that people saw around there. Yeah. Right, and that's just the flying saucers. But remember, there, the, it is a cornucopia of high strangeness. I mean, it is so hard to wrap your mind around. You know, you want to... I, I have a repulsion to it. Like, I, you know, I don't... I don't want to believe it, but I, I can't step away that that's what people are reporting. So everything from flying saucers to cat mutilations to creatures and right. beings. You know, Jeremy, on your, in your film, you work on this giant chalkboard and, you know, kind of putting together your notes. And, and uh, it, you know, in the beginning of the film, I saw one of the words on the chalkboard was Masonic. Was that just set dressing? Because I thought maybe that was just fun set dressing. But Bryce saw it as a clue. No, I mean, I, I'm sure those were your notes. I mean, I'm not yeah, answering yeah, that, for that's you. An, but... That's my actual workspace. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You but... have, by the way, the coolest office. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, I was like, for sure they had an art director coming in to write all this because it I looks think, cool. I figured out this magic concoction. If I could figure out how to sell this, okay, I get magnetic paint and I paint an entire wall. It's cool. Then I do chalkboard over that. Yeah. And then you can do like neodymium magnets oh, and chalkboard. Man, it's fucking man. great. I mean, he's like the ultimate like investigator. He's got like <laughs> ties going to this, pictures here. But, but I had to ask i mean you know you don't you don't kind of uh follow up on that in the film but uh is there in your opinion is there any type of masonic or esoteric uh relatings to this phenomenon why that was on the chalkboard because it is part of the history of of what happened in the area from what i understand the the buffalo soldiers came through black masons right and they stopped there for a while and there is a carving on a stone at the ranch right and it is. It appears to look like the Masonic Square. Wow! Right. And so it's in high debate if that actually is, mm-hmm. and if it was carved by the Buffalo Soldiers. And it was just kind of an interesting aspect to the history of that place. Gotcha. Do I think the phenomenon cares about what we create as far as thought process, religion, or theology? I think no. I don't no. think they care. Right. I think it's been here a lot longer than us, and it may actually not be from somewhere else. The phenomenon itself might be the local resident of Earth, and we are passing right. through genetically. So, uh, no, there's a. Are you familiar with the Bell Witch story from Tennessee? Someone keeps bringing it up. You should check that out because they're watching the film last night. It it brought up a lot of the Bell Witch for me. Now, the Bell Witch was nicknamed the Bell Witch and named after one of this again, it was a family of farmers. It was in this old uh, land that I believe at one point had belonged to the, you know, as a, everything in this country belonged to the native tribes. Um, and there was a cave nearby that sounds a lot like the Dark, Can- the Dark Canyon in Skinwalker Ranch. And this being that uh, exhibited high intelligence, uh, spoke verbally to the family, and and really had it out, attached itself, I'll say herself, because it appeared uh, vocally as a female, uh, to the head of the family. Um, But uh, it 
really seems that this was a spirit that had been in that land long, long, long before anybody had settled there. And some guy came along and built a farm, and she's like, oh, really? You think, uh, or it, I don't want to say he, she, I'm sure it's beyond gender, uh, was like, okay, cool, and eventually managed to kill the the patriarch of, of the family. It's a fascinating story and a lot of parallels to to what's going on in the film. The other uh, uh, author that I wondered if you were familiar with her work was Linda S. Godfrey. Um, she's done a lot of stuff. She wrote, she was the original person to break the story about the Beast of Bray Road in Wisconsin, which was also really going on in the 90s. And the shadowy, uh, bipedal dog man uh, comes up a lot in her stories in Wisconsin, along with weird mists and UFO and portal activity. So there is this stuff that seems highly condensed activity in this area of Utah, but there are other pockets of it (laughs) across America. And uh, there seems to be something going on around Wisconsin and Michigan as, as well. Yeah, our government has identified uh, specific hot spots. That's you know part of the program that was you know set forward with the twenty two million dollars through Harry Reid because of Skinwalker Ranch. OSAP identified other locations. That's why Bob Bigelow allowed George Knapp to write a book was to try to identify more locations. This is not an isolate. Actually, the scientists have kind of come to the conclusion that if you studied almost anywhere with mm. the intensity with which they studied Skinwalker Ranch, that you might have a similar level uh, of events. I don't know. That sounds wild to me, but that was... There were some characteristics to the ranch. I know in Linda Godfrey's work, she always talks about that in every investigation that she had where there were these... uh, And and there were animal mutilations on some of these ranches she went to in Wisconsin as well. Um, And we haven't even really touched on the animal mutilation stuff. It's it's sad. It's really sad. And also the thing I think the film does a really good job is also (laughs) drive home the economic hit that cattle mutilations have when you are a rancher trying to make your living off of livestock but um the one thing she always she seemed to point out was that um wherever this activity happens there's always there always seems to be a body of water running through that area and there is a river or a broad creek going through skinwalker ranch as well isn't there yeah you know i it's like one of those things i've heard that before and it might be right. I can't make rhyme or reason of it. I don't know if locationally is even important. You know, right. we know that the UFO phenomenon is homogenous. We know that it doesn't matter the country, the nationality, the belief system. Uh, there's a little bit of a tendency for there to be in semi-rural areas. If you look, there's a great book. I forget the name, but it shows you every, you know, it's a huge catalog of just events, right? Mm-hmm. And you you start to see this trend towards semi-rural areas. And that's probably because in the city, we're looking at buildings and in the middle of nowhere, there is nobody to see. So maybe that's why semi-rural, you really see this. Because I know when, when I'm in Pie Town and looking up, all I see is sky. Right. I mean, so I'm looking, right? <laughs> I know the cosmos when I'm living out there. So, also Wednesdays are a big day for UFO sightings. You know, I was really, gonna, yeah, I, we I, come out on Wednesdays. Yeah, there you Perfect. go. Nice. I'll like follow up with that. What do you think is with the uh, this three a.m. window that seems to show up in almost 
a lot of these cases, and even in your film, when you talk about when that shadow entity, you said, well, it was right around 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. Didn't even think about you, that yet. You it's end. when all the high strangeness stuff happens. Yeah. I ha- I've had encounters at, uh, at f- almost 4 a.m. on the dot. Yeah. It's something, and then even even yeah, three thirty three. Your film ends with that too. What do you? What is the significance behind that sort of window of opportunity, perhaps for uh, this entity or intelligence? No idea. Yeah, something worth exploring. I just yeah yeah. That's I mean, an pe- honest pe- answer. People people write to me all the time with like you know there's number ideas and people know a lot more than I do about that. I don't know, man. All I know is that. Uh, you know, look, the the seeker's the finder. If you want to find out anything, you gotta start asking questions. So right. if that's your interest, yeah. that's where you gotta go. Well, right. I don't know the Well, I to think that. in terms of I might be wrong here, but I think in terms of where that some of that belief comes from, why that might be a window, is that it is the exact midpoint between midnight, the darkest time, you know, or let's say the middle of the night, uh, and dawn. And in that midpoint um, I think the in some of folklore they talk about that being an a time period almost like an equinox when, of microcosm right, when the veil between <clears throat> the the world of the dream world the other world the parallel the universes thinnest. and our reality is thinnest and things cross through in yeah the and that, time. that's my my best guess you know to throw down any kind of idea my best guess I'm is giving that, myself goosebumps yeah, yeah, <laughs> I see him because you're not wearing pants either <laughs> wow man. So, yeah, I don't know. I, the way I like to describe it, because I don't know and I don't understand, is that there appears to be a perforated reality. And we're on one side of it. And from time and time, whatever's on the other side decides to poke through. And that could appear to us like the optical nature of a wormhole and some sort of porthole that opens up and a creature crawls through and elbows out, drops to the ground, walks away. Or craft coming through a rip in the sky. Or a ball of light, which is the most common UFO seen. It's just a ball of light. So I think all of these events seem to be some sort of perforation of where we are and where somebody else exists, and, and, and it might be there. And that's why all of these things, they might be connected. They appear, in fact, to be connected. Um, I would like it to be as simple as UFOs and beings from other star systems, however they're getting here. Right. But it just seems like it's more than that. There's some sort of temporal thing happening too. Space time, one of the very the things that I we talked we talked at length about this last night. You should have heard the, the conversation we had after after this movie. And I hope all the people who need to go out and, and rent this and buy this uh, one of the best things about getting this movie is the conversation you will have with your friends afterwards. I yeah. was like, it was it was ultimate. It was like meta. Well, talk, <laughs> I love the I love the stuff you guys talked about. The Gorman family, the original rancher and his wife, um, they would experience objects being displaced in the blink of an eye. You know, turn your back suddenly. The things she was cooking with were in the microwave, or um, tools would turn out missing and show up on the other side of the house or up in a tree. And one of the details I think was that there, the, the at one point the fence, there was a fence that had been relocated uh, almost six inches to the left or right of its original uh, installation. Well, it was a whole cord of wood. The kid, the kid oh, okay. went out and you know moved everything over. And if you've ever done that, I mean, I, I, I live off of wood burning in, in Pioneer Town and Man, you move a whole quarter wood yourself. That's a lot, of and work. then it gets moved back instantaneously. You're pissed, man. Yeah, it's, right. it's that kind of thing. And and I wonder if it's not an entity behind it, but some sort of space time hiccup where objects are being 
moved over here or popping in and out because of some sort of maybe it's a gravitational yeah, wave like, fuck up who knows you, I but, never even but that doesn't but, that. but then hold on but then to to the eyewitness going back to what we were talking about at the beginning to the eyewitness they go oh some sort of trickster spirit must have done this because it moved and maybe it is some sort of flux in the space time but that discludes the intelligence of this entity that people are talking about and it also discludes this the shadowy figure well, I'm, that, not, I'm not saying well, it's you know, what, what if that. both are right though so yeah, yeah that's an interesting both. thing that's like yeah. the idea of a ufo and seeing it that that's the problem is that you you do have these things that could be easily described by that that it's some sort of like time just went back, but then you have all these other you know, again precognitive intelligence that'll hide your bulls and put them in a catatonic state and then magnetize all the bars around it for no particular reason. Right. Crazy shit. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. But maybe that gravitational pothole <laughs> that exists across that <laughs> land also allows. UFOs to slip in, demonic right. forces to slip in. Right. Um, it is a highway. Whatever it is, right. this is this is some sort of nexus. It or is. Center. If yeah. you, in Star Wars terms, this seems to be one of the hyperspace lanes uh, that passes through. <laughs> before before we move on and before we wrap up, which unfortunately we're going to have to do soon, will you please tell the story of you mentioned a second ago of the Bigfoot entity and the portal. Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories because it, it really exemplifies the high strangeness of Skinwalker Ranch. You, for the first time, have these two scientists on camera actually telling you about these experiences. And I think it's been admitted somewhere that they may have been the ones involved in that. Right. So they're talking about scientists <laughs> witnessing this, though, in the film. So they have Russian night vision at the time. It's before, you know, I've got great night vision now, but at the time that was the top quality they see this kind of yellow glowing light down on the road. They're up on a mountain observing the ranch. The ranch is really cool. They use dogs as biosensors. They built these observation, uh, you know, kind of stations with dog runs and all this cool stuff. It's very cinematic. It's beautiful. But they were up on a cliff and they see this light. And this light is just kind of gently glowing, which, which I have seen that kind of thing at Skinwalker Ranch. Again, I don't know what it is. There's no artificial light where I saw it. That's the only thing that I can say. I saw lights come up, but I, I don't Bigfoot know what it was. portal, Jeremy. Well, right. If I had night vision, maybe on, I could have seen it. But anyway, so they're, they're chilling you know, late at night. They're watching two scientists, very rationally minded people, a physicist and another scientist. And they're basically looking and one's got night vision. They see this glow. What is that? They bring up the night vision. The one holding the night vision sees an orange porthole inverted with geometry inside, digging, going deep down. It's about four feet off the ground. And they see a creature crawling up through, elbowing up through this geometric inverted orange glowing porthole that you could see perfectly through the night so vision. So it's almost like you're seeing a pipe. Yeah, like a pipe that goes down, but it had a weird geometry in it. Wow. And then this creature, which mainly I'd say it's kind of a void of light was how it's described. Because if you mm. understand, you know, night vision technology, so you're looking at a spectrum of the light the eye doesn't really see. So you're seeing this in HD, basically. And this this creature, the average, they thought maybe weighed about 700 pounds, big ass creature, eight feet tall, uses his elbows, pushes out through this porthole, drops down onto the like ground. uses, pulls itself. Yeah, like elbows. Like pushes like yeah, holds it's a thin so air portal and think of a cartoon, yeah. man. Yeah. That's what we're talking <laughs> right. about. It's like you Bugs know, Bunny. It's crazy. And, you know, drops down and then goes off into the forest, kind of runs off into the forest. And, you know, imagine you're a scientist put onto this ranch. You're thinking we're going to debunk the shit out of this. Right. And then you fucking see a dimensional porthole with a <laughs> yeah. Bigfoot void of light, dark being with no <laughs> neck jumping out of this, elbowing out of a porthole, the porthole closing up, and it running off into the woods, and you're supposed to go back down. I mean, 
Shit. Like, I quit. Shit. <laughs> yeah. What, like, what, you know, they're like, oh, there's got to be hallucinogenic plants everywhere around here. We're going to study that. So they look for every kind of thing they could to describe this. Now, this porthole thing, this is described all over the Uinta Basin, but particularly at the ranch. And very interestingly enough, um, the Gormans, when, when they would have this thing on a regular basis crack open in the sky, it would yeah. be this like slit in the sky. Out would come craft, like UFOs. So it's not just like beings coming out, but also craft coming through. And then the cool thing about it is optically, depending on the angle in which you looked at it, you, you wouldn't see it. Mm, so so, so cool. now- this is one of the reasons why the Defense Intelligence Agency was interested. Imagine, from a warfare perspective, of course, if you could insert warriors, insert craft. So one, you they're could tear afraid. open the sky. Yeah. So one, they're afraid. You know, wh- who are who are these craft? You know, wh- where are they from? What do they want? Why are they bringing craft over here? Who are these beings? But also, if you flip it, that's a technology. If it's a technology that we're just, it seems like magic. Mm-hmm. We want. Right. So that was one of the reasons why it was taken so seriously by. Uh, our United States government studied the paranormal, yeah. period. $22 million. Deal with it. Yeah. Amen. Where is the footage of that? Where is the footage of these portals opening? So this is the sickening part of it, and you're just going to have to accept it or not. The best that I can say, and I had a long talk with George Knapp about this the other night, and uh, Dr. Kelleher, we have to accept that this, in- it is an intelligence. That's for sure. It is an intelligence with knowledge of, of, of technology. And of our technology. Yeah, absolutely. It seemed to know where the cameras were pointed and it would perform somewhere else. It was always doing that, you know, making you chase at things. So we just have to accept it is aware of our technology and it does not want to be caught on camera and it does not want to to have that kind of scrutiny. And in fact, it started receding and going away the more that the scientists brought more equipment onto the ranch. Mm. The rancher originally said to them, you need to hunt this like a sentient creature, like a, like a, like a wild animal. And the louder you are and the more you're coming at it with all these gadgets – the, the less you're going to encounter it. And, and, he, and he was damn right. Amazing. And Bigelow eventually sold the property in 2016, which I did not know until watching the film. I had assumed he still owned it. And the new owner is, on my, is in my film. Is uh, <laughs> amazing. Not named, but yeah. I have a theory. Michael had a couple guesses last Oh, really? Night. Cool. Yeah. I, yeah, think it's I will not Belong. confirm or deny, even with my eyes. <laughs> I, think so. I think it's Blink 182. But <laughs> maybe I'm... Well, I will tell you actually, no. Okay. It's not. All right, cool. <laughs> All right. It's not. It's off, not can't, off right. Mike, will you tell me if we don't report yeah, it? I, I, love the, I love the theories. Here's the, the point, and you see in the movie, the first thing I ask the new owner of the ranch, which, I, by the way, gave us access, allowed me to film current day on the ranch, uh, also allowed me, did an interview with me. It was astounding. I can't, I'm super lucky. Yeah. But the one thing I, I ask him, the first thing I say is, you know, why do you keep your identity secret? And he corrected me and he says, I'm keeping my identity confidential, you know, both to preserve the scientific studies we're doing now from, mm-hmm. from the wrong type of scrutiny, but also because I have a vast business empire that, you know, these worlds don't necessarily mesh. Yeah. You know, I'm sure when mm. Bob Bigelow goes in to get NASA contracts. Bob's cool with colliding them. Yeah. Well, he, he's great. He, you know, yeah. he has balls, man. Yeah, he does. Big ass balls. He, Go, yeah, goes he really on, does. Goes on 60 Minutes and just tells everybody. Aliens are here. They're here. They're yeah, right they're under our nose. Us, right. Like yeah. so, so he does. But I, I don't think he loves it that when he does big NASA contracts that, you know, that, that could be put brought up to him. He's trying to focus on that now, I'm pretty sure, but right. I, you know, I don't know. All yeah. right, so it's Elon Musk. Okay, okay. anyway, <laughs> uh, any last questions for Jeremy before we go or any final thoughts you guys want to share about the film? Yeah, I just, you know, it, uh, you know, and, and you, you guys had a great spread in Shadows of Your Mind magazine, the July-August issue, and uh, and in it they interview you about the film and George Knapp, and, 
And uh, one of the lines uh, that, that George laid out that I, I think is great is, he says, eventually I came to understand a very uncomfortable idea. The idea that another intelligence lives here. It's not an intruder from somewhere else, not a traveler just passing through. I think people will have trouble getting their heads around the idea that we humans are living in someone else's world, not the other way around. And that uh, that, that had a, a real ring of truth to me. Yeah, man. Uh, George Knapp has clarity. Yeah. I mean, that guy has seen it all. I mean, he's done stories on the mob, on religion, on he, you know, his, how 27, 37 Emmys, yeah. Peabody's. He, yeah. The guy's incredible. an incredible reporter. His clarity on this, I mean, yeah, when, when he talks, I listen, man, he, he's got some real wisdom on this stuff. Well, you bring incredible clarity to, to these types of high strangeness as well, Jeremy. We are so lucky to have you as a guest and so honored and for those of us uh for those of you guys out there listening i want to say you know order this film order buy this film yes on truly. itunes and not only that do him a huge up do us a huge up rate it review it and uh let's put this thing at the number one slot in docs because i mean it's a game-changing documentary and believe me documentaries are my steez this one is at the top of my list. So yeah. congratulations. And we're Thanks, so lucky man. to have you on your release date. It releases today, September 11th. So. Where can people get it? Um, Bryce mentioned iTunes. So and all else? pay-per-view platforms. So iTunes is great because you get over an hour and a half, about an hour and a half of bonus material. And also on Vimeo, you get the hour and a half of bonus material. But all pay-per-view platforms and pretty much globally. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that. That does help me be able to make the next one because there's a lot still to tell on this yeah. story. Can you tell us what's coming up next for you? Sure. Yeah. My, my next film on an impossible schedule, another 30 year story. And the one I've always wanted to do since I was 13 years old is the Bob Lazar story. Oh, wow. it's come full circle. Wow. That's right. December 3rd in LA. Actually, I, I'm so check this out. I haven't told anybody cause it just got confirmed this morning. Oh, fantastic. So, on December 3rd in LA at the Ace Hotel Theater. If you guys know that spot's the yeah, Charlie Chaplin. Oh my yeah, gosh, beautiful. my dream theater. Totally. My dream has come true. I am going to premiere my movie there on December 3rd. Oh. The Bob Lazar movie hosted with me and Bob. Oh. And it's open to the public to get a ticket. I'm and it's gonna be 20 bucks for everybody. We'll Just be there. We're bucks. there. Yeah. Come we see are the there. <laughs> and so but, Do we so, get a press pass? So, so <laughs> listen, please come because I'm putting my neck on the line here. I've rented that theater. I need to fill that theater okay. you know, or I'm screwed. So, so, But I'm doing it because I know what it's like. I want to see this movie myself and, and Bob will host it with me. What a night to remember. So December 3rd at the Ace Hotel Theater. Big night, guys. When the time comes closer, we'll be sure to double back on that to make sure that that theater gets packed. And I'm sure nice. you'll have no problem uh, with, the, with, with the value of your work that you're doing filling that theater. Absolutely. And, uh, Patient 17, your first film, where can we find that? Netflix is usually the easiest for people, but it is also available on all those other platforms okay, as great. well. Yeah, thanks awesome. so much, guys. And yeah, as we get closer to the Lazar film, that is a story that... that I'm not trying to convince you whether it's true or not true. I no longer have the luxury of disbelief, and that's the best way I can explain it. Yep. Obviously, there's a lot of people I talk with that don't go on camera with me that I can't put forward. But I will say, you should hear Bob Lazar's story now in the lens of 30 years that it might be the, the singular most important UFO story that has ever been told. And if that if he is telling the truth, if you choose to believe him, that has implications for your life. So 
get ready for that film. And if we get closer to it, we should spend a time just talking about that because that's a whole nother enchilada right there. Wow, whole here, here. Yeah, we will definitely have you back to discuss that. All right, we got to do that, guys. <laughs> we got to do it. Cool. Well, what a, what a podcast Thanks, this was. This is a highlight for me. Uh, I'm super. You retiring now from the show? Yeah, I don't know if they told you your press. Uh, you you gave us a press scre- uh, screener with four views, and uh, I brought it over last night. They're like, "There's only one view left." I'm like, "Yeah, I was. Uh, I was on it a few times." <laughs> like, we thought you were waiting to watch it with us. He's like, "You know, man, I was really excited about." It. <laughs> so again, man, thank you so much for being here. We're lucky to have you. And, Thanks, uh, guys. So, Jeremy. Uh, even though this wasn't a traditional Bigfoot Collectors Club episode, it was a fantastic one. Thank you so much. I have to ask you before we leave, Skinwalker Ranch, we ask all our que- uh, this to all of our guests when we share stories of high strangeness. What, what the hell was that? What the hell was that? What is it? What's going on? If you, What do you think? I think there are people better qualified to answer that than me, to be honest with you. I'm just starting to wrap my head around the testimony itself. But there appears to be an intelligence that is engaging humanity, and it has been doing it since probably before recorded human history. It comes in different forms, flying saucers, entities, creatures, sometimes just mists. Whatever it is, it is intelligent, it is real, and it is influencing human events and it's fucking fascinating (laughs) and that's all i know great that'll work for me i think you're too modest but great (laughs) bryce anything you want to plug before we go uh nope great me neither watch i want to plug you guys you guys this is the coolest studio i mean i'm surrounded by guitars and cool dudes and coffee yeah you should uh you guys should post some photos from here you guys got got some up there but we need to do more We've been in the yeah, middle of a for Ludwig. Or I, I guess I should say Riley's been in the middle of a bit of a studio redesign. But uh... we got David Bowie autographs on the wall. Glad you like it. Amazing. We're lucky to have Riley studio. and his yeah. studio. Um, Riley, anything to plug? I I just want to echo Bryce's sentiments. Like watch watch this film and and rate and review it because like this really is a, a grassroots kind of effort that brings this information to light. And I, I really like what you said about weaponizing your your curiosity. Like we. The, the more that people are thinking about this and talking about this, the more it becomes normalized to discuss and people don't just think you're crazy. And I think this film really presents it really well. And I would just really encourage you to watch it and tell people about it and push it up in the algorithm and let's get this conversation out into the broader public. And have one of those meta discussions after like we did. Oh, my God. Yeah. Watch yeah. it with your friends. Watch it with your friends, man. Yeah. Have a good time with it. Yeah. Um, well, I also want to plug, Riley, your band, is Spin Drift, is playing this weekend. In... Oh, yeah, we're playing out. At, uh, at in your in your neck Pioneer of the woods, Town. Pioneer Pappy Town. We're and Pappy and Harriet's, yeah, yeah. So, so let, like let a... me plug that Pappy and Harriet's. It's the center of the universe. You ain't done nothing right in your life if you haven't gone to Pappy and Harriet's, and you'll have a chance to see your band play. <laughs> oh, dude, where do people Bam. get tickets? Amen. Road trip. I mean, just show up. Okay, cool. You'll be all right. All right, cool. Yeah. We'll uh, treat you right in Pioneer Town. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, I gotta do it. Sorry, my comic book adventure van is uh, for sale right now. And if your local comic shop doesn't have it. 
Go to them, say, I want to order Adventure Van. It is in the previews catalog that Diamond puts out. Some comic shop owners will say it's not. It is under Golden Apple Books. So check that out. Uh, and I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. I want to thank our guest, Jeremy. Thank you once again so much for coming and joining us. This is thank great. Thank you, guys, man. I feel like this is the beginning of a beautiful uh, friendship. Yes, yeah. it's a bromance. We're going to hang out. Nice. <laughs> awesome, <Woo>! man. Uh, <laughs> thanks to our listeners. We love you guys. Um, and also make sure to check out everything we've got up on the Patreon this month. we got some exciting stuff happening. Uh this month and every month until next week we remain the Bigfoot Collectors Club see ya later Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.